Um, I wonder if any of you have been craving, craving this dessert. This is glutinous rice mung bean soup from Vietnam. And I'm guessing most of you have not been craving it. I have not. And it's not because it's not delicious. I'm sure that it is. It's a dessert, for goodness sake. I haven't been craving it because I've, I haven't, I've never had it. I have no appetite within me for it. There's nothing where I feel like I really want that. I really want that. Now, what's interesting about Advent, actually, is we're celebrating things we have a huge appetite for, even if we don't have them. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And the fact that you have an appetite for them means this. They really exist. And they're really attainable. So spend some time pondering and praying about the availability of these gifts as we light uh, this Sunday's three Advent candles. We light the handle of candle of hope as a sign of the coming light of Christ. Advent means coming. We are preparing ourselves for the day when nations shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. We light the candle of peace. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. We light the candle of joy. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and, with, and rejoice with joy and singing. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let's pray. Lord, we want these things that we just have been saying. We want them for ourselves, for our families, for our nation, and for the world. Hope, peace, and joy. Lord, we recognize that there are things about these passages that we cannot control, we have no power over, that exist completely outside of our ability to do anything about them. As we come to your word this morning, would we find that in your word there is both an answer and, and a response to these things, that there's something that you have done and are doing that will bring these to us. Lord, would you sharpen our insights? Would you Grace us with new imagination. Would you strengthen us with courage? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our Lord, rock, and redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Eric. I think most of you uh, may have um, met me at least once. One of the pastors here. Really glad that you are here on this third Sunday of Advent. 
And as you heard, Advent is this season as we wait and we long to come to this proclamation of the birth of God in the flesh, the Messiah incarnate, Jesus Christ. And for millennia, really, it has been the practice of Christians to, to light candles as we march our way through and into that, that celebration. And this year, throughout our, this season, we have simply just sought to just preach our way through the meaning of the candles. What do they mean? How are they sort of help us as we march our way towards the birth of Jesus Christ? Two weeks ago, we preached through the candle of hope. This reminder that there is a horizon beyond what we can see that is good and beautiful and whole. And last week, we preached through the candle of peace. And as it turns out, it was kind of an intense week. We need a Savior. We need God who to step in from outside our system to enact salvation for us. And this week is the candle of joy, and it's the only candle of the four that's a different color. The other three are purple, and purple is this color of, of penitence and of, of preparation, of longing and repentance. But this third candle is pink. <laughs> and it is a color of, of joy, it's a color of remembering that, that God just sees us now. It's intentionally placed where it is so that we can be reminded that we are always over halfway to the celebration. It's not just that Christ is coming, but we can know and we're over halfway there. We get to celebrate and declare the coming goodness of Jesus. His coming is close. And what we've been seeking to say is both in the well, four, actually. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And that Jesus, yes, Jesus brings these things. But from the standpoint of Scripture and theology, it's not just that He brings those things for us. He is those things. He is those things in the flesh. Jesus is our hope in the flesh. He is our peace. He is our joy. And next week... He is our love. He is these things. So let's talk for just a couple minutes now about joy. I guess I want to start by just saying the simple thing to you. Joy is not simply a synonym for happy. Have you heard that before? I'm, I'll always be glad to be the first one to tell you anything. But if you, you know, I've heard this many times. Joy is not simply a synonym for happy. Happy is totally and completely contingent on our circumstances. And it's possible for us to have joy no matter how rough around the edges or the core of our life are right now. But sometimes when we think of joy and this call to be joyful, maybe even in our extroverted nation such as we are, there's sometimes it feels like we're required to be joyful required. We have to sort of exhibit this. And here's also what I want to say to you. Joy is not irrational exuberance. Joy is not 
irrational exuberance. I think sometimes we sort of lump joy and people who have joy or the experience of joy is sort of this silly sort of extroverted enthusiasm that some personalities just seem to just naturally have. Daniel's like that. Joy is not something that is reserved just for some personalities. It's a gift and a fruit of the Spirit that all of us can have. It's part of the, it's part of the sweetness that God has in mind for all of us. But I think some of us think of joy like this. <gasps> wow, what's this? This is the North Pole. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. It's time for the announcement. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah! Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Can you sign this for me? Oh, hi. Santa's coming. Come on, come on. Now, I got to tell you, if that's joy, I'm out. <laughs> if that is the only possible expression of joy, then I, I can't do that. Now, sure, certainly at times, we're so joyful that sort of this laughter sort of bubbles out of us. We squeal in delight. There's something that just bubbles up beyond how much we can contain it. But if that's the only way to experience and express joy, I'm actually not all that interested in that. Joy needs to be something beyond sort of just this Pollyanna-ish kind of unreal self-deception that the world is just all unicorns and rainbows. Instead, actually, the Scripture says that the, the gift of joy, that the spiritual gift of joy is, is that sweetness that God has in mind for every single one of us. Yeah, you too. When God says to live in the fruit of the Spirit, He, he actually doesn't have it sort of parceled out by personality types. Every single one of us can experience each and single, every single one of these fruit. This is part of the sweetness and the goodness of living in Christ. You can express and possess love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is not sort of this, you know, irresistible, sort of irrational exuberance. Something intended for everyone. It's something that is grounded in reality, 
and something deep about our horizon. It's an emotion that's grounded in reality and something deep about the horizon of time. It's it's emotion and it's choice together. Which leads me to this first point I want to make sure you know about. Joy does not depend on our circumstances. Joy does not depend on our circumstances because it's available to everyone in Christ. I had a homiletics professor when I was in seminary. Homiletics is a fancy word for preaching. And what this professor said is, whatever it is you have to say about the gospel to the people that you're preaching to, it needs to be as true for those people as it would be for those who are in the deepest, most isolated village in the jungles of the Congo. Whatever you say about Jesus Christ and the hope of salvation and receiving a life of joy, it needs to be just as true as the people who are completely isolated in that way, in that sort of circumstance, as as it's also true for us. Otherwise, all I'm delivering to you is American religion, but not the gospel. Whatever we need to say about Joy needs to be true there and here. It needs to be true whether your floor is heated tile in the bathroom or there's a trough of mud that runs right through. It needs to be true if you drive an Audi or if your mode of transportation is simply just calloused feet. It needs to be true if you bought your clothes at a department store or if they were handed to you in charity off the back of a pickup. Whatever we say about joy cannot be dependent upon our circumstances. We see that in the Scriptures. This is from Psalm uh, 94. Unless the Lord has given me help, had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, losing control, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Now, I think it's probably true, because of where we live, that most of us have not received our clothes from the back of a pickup, or have a dirt floor, or walk everywhere on bare feet. But what is true is that we live in the loneliest nation in the world. There are people in this room surrounded by others who feel this deep, unsatisfied loneliness. Completely and utterly disconnected. And the scriptures say, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation, Lord, brought me joy. 
joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. Do you wake up like I sometimes do around 4, 17 in the morning and already you can feel the burn of the day? Have you had that experience? Your mind sort of just goes, flips through all the stuff you need to do and should have done yesterday and better do today. Has that been your life at some point? Friends, joy is still can be yours. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me great joy. James chapter 1 actually says that we're supposed to consider it pure joy, pure joy, unadulterated joy when we face trials and tribulations of many kinds. It's actually possible to face those trials and tribulations and consider it and experience it as joy. This is one of those gifts of God that's not dependent at all upon our circumstances. In fact, we see this in the passage. It's listed as the passage for today's sermon. Rejoice. That's enact joy. That's the verb joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Did you miss it? I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. Now, it might be helpful for you to know that the writer of this letter, a man named Paul, was writing to a church in Philippi. And he was writing from a prison. And prisons were, like, disgusting, difficult, hard places of deprivation, much harder than what we have now in our prison system. I'm not advocating we go back. But in the middle of that, what Paul says is joy, rejoice, hold on to the promise. Nineteen times he uses this word. How can he use this word? In the middle of prison? In the middle of being stuck? In the middle of being handcuffed? That's because joy is not dependent upon our circumstances which as an important side note, I need to say this. You also cannot create joy with your circumstances. Church, you need to hear this. Whatever our material comforts are, whatever protection and security you have put in place, whatever vacations and experiences that are on the horizon for you, they will not create joy. I don't want to pick on those things. I don't want to talk about sort of, you know, American materialism. That's, that's a different sermon. I, you know, maybe later. But today, I just want you to know this. The marshalling of our resources for good things will not bring you joy. And if you've been orchestrating your life and the acquisition and orchestration of things, the best you're going to get is temporary happiness. If joy is not dependent on my circumstances, then I can't create joy with my circumstances. It has to stand outside of that. So then, what does, it, what does it stand on? What brings joy? Joy centers on the completed work of God. Joy actually turns out it's not about us. It's not about me. 
Joy stands on the completed work of God. It's a thing that God does on our behalf, and we get to be the recipients of it. There's this passage in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 2. We say it every year at um, Advent. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And we say that because we want to proclaim the goodness of the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. I've said it again because it's such a, I'll say it again because it's such a compelling personal image to me. Did you know just one of these little flames you'd be able to see from 10 miles away in the mountains? Friends, no matter how far away you think you are from God, light is breaking. A way is being made. A path is being cut. And it is Jesus, God in the flesh. But when it comes especially to joy and this idea of completed work, it's really important just to read the next verse, which we never read. Here it is. You, Lord, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Now, I know Warriors don't plunder anymore. When was the last time you plundered after a battle? But it's important to understand the image and the metaphor. If you were plundering after battle, what it meant, friends, is you had won. And that you were alive and there was a reward. What the scriptures are teaching and saying is, is it's just like that. The promise of the work of God, the the promise of what he's already done for you is, is just like that sense of having had victory, of being alive and receiving great gifts. It's just like that. It's that kind of feeling. It's the completed work of God that we're focused on, not, not ourselves. Now, you know, this was 500 BC. There were still warriors and plunderings and battles. I'm guessing most of you also probably have not ever participated in a harvest. But when the harvest was done, it was all collected in the storehouse, and they pulled it in before the rains came. It was a great celebration because they knew there was provision. They knew the work was done. They knew there was rest. And so in Advent, this Advent reading, what we see simply is just this little thing, just this little idea that we can have because of the completed work of God, what God has done, and increased our joy by what He's done. We, we can have a sense of provision and rest, victory, the gifts, life. Joy is not dependent on our circumstances, but on the completed work of God. In those moments, joy is both an emotion, it is an emotion, and a decision that rests on God's completed work. God has done this. It's not dependent upon us or what we've done, what we plan to do. 
And today, now, in these latter days, as we straddle between the first advent and the second advent, we can add this to that. Joy centers on the incarnated work of God. Joy centers on the incarnated work of God. God has come in the flesh. He's come to complete work on our behalf we never could have completed on our own. He came to be a sacrifice for us that we we never actually could have um, provided on our own. He came to confront a consequence we could never have confronted on our own. We see it in passages like this. This is from Hebrews chapter 12. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Friends, joy comes in Jesus Christ. A lot of times in Advent, we really want to focus on Joseph and Mary and the baby. And and I get it. I love babies. I love to hold babies. There's, There's actually something very joyful and complete about holding babies. Holding a baby for me is like glutinous rice mung bean soup. It is so sweet. It is so good. But why we celebrate Advent is not because a baby came, because of what the, why that baby came. That's why we celebrate Advent. Because there's another chapter to this story beyond the incarnation. And that story is the story of the crucifix of suffering, of confronting the deepest evils of the world, of dying on that cross and conquering death. And Jesus did that because he knew what was on the other side. He knew. He set, because of the joy set before him, he confronted death on the cross. Jesus is our incarnate joy. He's the one who's accomplished this on our behalf. Uh, we are parenting in my home four children. Amy would say four and a half children. And there have been times from time to time when we've uh, sought to parent those children where something really, really... Um, really awful has happened. Someone gave someone else's doll a haircut and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's been a, an accident on a bike and there's a, there's a bloody knee and, and the bike is scratched too. The paint is scratched. It's the end of the world. And I've held a middle school daughter while she cries about a middle school breakup. 
And you know what I'm able to say to them in that moment? There's something beyond this. If you've ever had a child, or if you've ever worked with a child, you, you can say there's, there's something beyond this immediate moment. There's something that's already kind of out in front of that. Don't, don't worry. I know that your doll will never look the same. It's okay. Better things to come. I know what, your, your skin's going to come back. Just cry. And I don't care what some punk kid, eighth grade boy said to you. I love you. And this will pass. I know your heart is breaking, but this will pass. And friends, the message of Advent, the message of the joy candle is just like that. The Lord sees your circumstances. No matter how big they feel to you, and they're big. You face ruined relationships, ruined bodies, certain death. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus is holding you. And he says, I know. Just fall asleep right here. I can see what's past this. Let me encourage you to live what's past this. This will go away. Our joy centers on Jesus incarnate. He says, child, let me hold you. Because this part of the story is not the ending part of the story. I looked uh, for a really helpful definition for joy to conclude today. And I found this uh, by Rick Warren, who's a pastor in Los Angeles. And this is what he said. Joy is a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. It is the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Friends, this is the declaration of Advent. In light of the human trouble that's both here and in the Congo and everywhere around the globe in between, Jesus came in the flesh as the light of the world to make this possible. Joy is a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And it is a determined choice to praise God in every situation. Now here's what I know. There's something that is stealing your joy. There's something that's in the way. Would you let Jesus embrace you today and remind you there's something beyond it? As we conclude, let me pray for you.
Lord, these brothers and sisters of mine, these your children, Lord, I hold them up before you today. Lord, we know that there is something that's gnawing at our quiet confidence and assurance and determined worship. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would work in our hearts right now. Would you give us this quiet assurance that you see us? Would you give us the resolve to know that you, you have something that is called life beyond this thing that is in our way? Would you receive our determined worship, not only because of who we are, but because of what you are making us at the end of time? So, Spirit, rest on us. Help us to live with joy incarnate, Jesus Christ. We praise you. And all God's people said,